0: Welcome to another episode of Kentucky Basketball Carpool Show. I'm Nick. I'm Mike. I'm no, Chris. All right, with us today, we have Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. Big time. Big time. What's going on, Kyle?
1: What's up, guys? How are you?
0: Hey, we're doing great. Excellent. Oh, yeah. It's uh, another night, man. It's just uh, – we're just really excited to have you on here. Uh, big time website. Um, it's Yeah. It, we're excited. Guys, yeah. yeah. yeah i definitely follow you guys. Good stuff, man.
2: Uh, Not good. only The Athletic, but uh, – Kyle was on the Courier Journal when we were, not to age you, Kyle, but when we were in high school and college and stuff like that, oh, so god.
0: <laughs> big fan of yours for a while.
2: <laughs> high school, that is very depressing. Thank you.
0: I wasn't going to go there, but that's that's fine, yeah. I did read your articles in high school. It
1: makes you feel any better is when you were just getting started at the Courier. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, going on 10 years, Nine. this is my ninth year, so... Oh, wow.
0: Very good. Yeah, awesome. It's is. I'm old. I'm all right with it. <laughs> Very good. So, anyways, yeah, we're just but, going to – we'll go
2: ahead. Chris, what? I was just going to say, you know, that's, that's something I've been interested in. And, you know, the Athletic just kind of exploded out of nowhere. When you were approached by, you know, the people at the Athletic, what was their pitch and why did you decide to accept a position there, you know, opposed to somewhere else? Yeah,
1: I was talking to a few people at that time. It was actually uh, like a – weird time in my life I went uh, I left the newspaper sort of thinking that maybe it was time to jump off that ship and uh, newspapers a failing industry <sighs> that's, yeah
0: that's
1: a yeah, new one to me. Breaking, <laughs> breaking news there but uh, so I went uh, I went and tried a uh, another startup website called uh, SEC Country but they had the backing mm-hmm. of uh, Cox Media Group which was a 18 billion dollar company and I felt like oh, okay well they'll They'll burn money for a while before they go away and they didn't. They lasted two years and decided to shutter, uh, that business in, with no warning, which was pretty shocking. So two summers ago, I was, um, looking for a job and kind of taking my time and mm-hmm. had some other opportunities, but to, to answer your question, um, actually almost went to, uh, one of the, uh, subscription Kentucky, uh, based websites. Um, but um, I I spent a lot of time talking to the athletic back and forth, back and forth for about two months. And what ultimately sold it was just the idea that um, a couple of things. One, I, you know, you, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I have kids now. I may I may mention that every now and then, my kids. But uh, that's a huge part of my life. That's totally changed my life, and I don't want to be uh, just. A slave to the job, as in, in the way that it can be sometimes. Uh, in some other places, the medium world is just like everybody's just scrambling to beat each other to post two hundred words on the latest news item, and uh, pretty much every place you go is going to be like that. But the athletic wanted to be really different and uh, tell stories, and basically said, "Like we don't ever want to do anything that's like you know scrambling to post the, the latest little thing. We don't ever, we don't want to be doing that at all. So you won't be doing that and we wanna empower you to write the the coolest stories that you can find and have the time to do them justice and that's really all I needed to hear. So as long as as long as they were gonna pay me in something other than like uh, you know, uh uh cheeseburgers or something, I I was I was good with it. So well, that brings well, me on the next chicken, point. free chicken biscuits for missed free throws
3: or whatever. Yeah, perfect. <laughs>
0: I'm just saying I don't work for cheeseburgers. Yeah, so uh, uh, that that, yeah. that's very true. <laughs> uh, that kind of brings me on to the next point, man. I, I did read one of your articles that was that was very good on Kenny Payne and uh, kind of his importance uh, to Kentucky and especially the development of the players, uh, especially the big guys. I mean, how important has this guy been for Kentucky, and especially Coach Cal, not just with recruiting but development of these guys?
1: I would say probably more so in development even than recruiting. Um, You know, when you think about the fact that he mentored Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Cowns and Willie Cauley-Stein, and those guys were two number one picks and a top ten pick, and Willie was a guy that was not was barely a top 50 recruit out of high school. Um, You know, and and several others, Bam Adebayo, um, on and on and on. I think that he's had three or four NBA All-Stars now um and all those guys i talked to those guys for the story uh talked to anthony davis and he said you know he's he's saved in kenny's phone as baby giraffe because when he got to kentucky (laughs) uh he was like a baby giraffe And, and anthony davis will tell you he had zero post moves he's everybody knows his story that he had the huge growth spurt and so before that he was a guard he just didn't ever work out in the paint and they they made him learn that and that's a big part of his game now and he attributes all of that to Kenny working with him and just drilling him and drilling him and drilling him over and over again um that one year at Kentucky and you know Carl will tell you the same about uh, Kenny he was another guy who was trying to be a finesse post player and has become a guy who can do that in the NBA you know he shoots threes and he's great at it but he didn't he needed to learn how to be a post player too and they taught him that at Kentucky um so very important and I would say if you look at this season and almost going into next season, it's, it really, to me, even more highlights how good Kenny is at development. If you look at, um, you know, going back to the summer, where, where PJ Washington ended up being drafted, and how he finished his second season at Kentucky and how much he developed. And then Nick Richards going from, you know, can't get on the floor and can't catch a basketball. You know, just a few years into his basketball education and really not knowing anything about the game to now being an all American candidate. And you know, over the last few weeks, EJ Montgomery, you know, a guy who couldn't, just couldn't play for Kentucky last year and couldn't play a whole lot of this year. And now he's starting to break through. And that's, I think that's all Kenny Payne. I mean, if EJ Montgomery has a bona fide breakthrough and last game was probably the closest thing we've seen to it. I think that's all Kenny Payne. You know, Cal talks all, the, all this conditioning stuff. Kenny Payne's the guy who's doing that with him after practice, and early mornings, late at night.
0: Oh, absolutely, man. I, my, my opinion, since Cal's been here, only one big guy has shown up here that was pretty much day one, was ready for the NBA, and I always said that was Cousins. <laughs> I always thought Demarcus Cousins could went straight to the NBA. His feet work, his post moves were all superior to everyone that he played, and and as far as Anthony Towns, you saw that transition from day one to the tournament. I mean, he was unstoppable in tournament. And and all these guys, they seem to love Kenny Payne and for what he's done for their game. Um, and and I, I think this year is, is his best coaching job because what he did with Nick Richards, I mean, there was a clip, I can't remember who posted it, but it was like the transition from Nick Richards like showing exact same type of like post moves and, and grabbing rebounds and dunking from freshman year to sophomore year to junior year. It's incredible. You see the transition just on film, how uh, he can make that hook shot now. He yeah. has confidence. How he has, like, you know, he can get those alley-oops. He's got, grabbing rebounds with two hands. Remember how Cal used to yell at him, grab two hands, two hands, two hands, you know, right? <laughs> and, and, and and they worked with him. And, you know, and that a credit to Nick Richards for, you know, for building his game. To
3: get the, wanted to get it in there. I yeah, mean, wanted to get better. Yeah. I mean,
0: he, he worked on his game, and he could tell. It, you can definitely tell. Um, Yeah. So uh, that's a
2: good segue into our next question. Yeah, go ahead, Michael.
3: I would, I think we're going to the same spot here, Chris, about uh, Patrick Ewing. Is that yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So when you say, because, you know, Patrick Ewing's a fellow Jamaican, he reached out, called, you know, talked to him and stuff. Do you think Nick Richards miles a lot of his game after Ewing? Or, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I think a little bit. I mean, he was,
1: Ewing was way, way before Richards' time. And, and Nick has said he's only really seen him on the, on the NBA TV channel, the classic, or hardwood or something okay. like that. It's a
0: series that-
1: of old, old games. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know that he's patterned a whole lot of his game necessarily after Patrick Ewing. I, I think he's looking at a lot more of his contemporaries in the NBA. Um, but I do think that that conversation was important to him because it was a guy that he felt like was outside of Kentucky basketball, outside of the, you know, the bubble, the tear, and the pressure, and all that, <clears throat> a guy who... Uh, as a player, I mean, as much as anybody re- can respects Kenny Payne, everybody does. You know, he he does not have the player credentials that a guy like Patrick Ewing does. Patrick Ewing, you know, was a national player of the year and eleven uh, time All Star and one of the fifty greatest players ever, Hall of Famer, um, and he's from Nick Richards' hometown in Jamaica, um, and so the chances of that are obviously pretty slim for most guys that should be able to get on the phone with a guy who's a seven footer like you from your hometown, uh, who's in the hall of fame. And, uh, I just think that that uh, being able to talk to somebody like that, that was outside the program and be able to kind of confide in him, like, yeah, I don't believe in myself. Uh, which his girlfriend, Leah Edmund, the volleyball star told me, it was the first time she'd ever heard him admit, like, I just don't have any confidence
3: that he didn't really want to say that out loud, but it was true.
1: And by saying it out loud, he was able to start addressing it. And Patrick Ewing gave him some advice. And um, so, no, I don't think he probably patterns his game a whole lot after Patrick Ewing. Maybe he'll start to now that they've had that connection. And you can go on YouTube and find a million clips if you want to. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think, I think more than that, it's just just having somebody that you respect a lot. It feels like they're, they're from where you're from in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, to kind of just say, hey, I think you're good. I think you can be good. You know, just uh let it rip a little bit.
0: Someone to relate with. I mean, definitely, mean, definitely someone to relate with.
2: It was funny when I was reading that article. I I did start to think of how Ewing played his game and how he had such a good uh you know <clears throat> touch from uh, his mid range jumper and like how if he would have been born two decades later and played in today's game, he would be even more dominant. Just because of how good he was as a shooter, but he was never, never able to step back to the three and shoot. Now the spacing would have benefited somebody like him. And then you yes. look at how Nick Richards plays his game and how he's built, and it is a lot like Patrick Ewing. The things he does well are like Patrick Ewing.
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I think Ewing's one of a handful of guys that if they come along at a different time, they would have been different players, and, and as great as they were, it would have been even greater, for sure. But I mean, If you put this Ewing, Pistol Pete scored fifty a game without a three point without a three point line. Which is amazing.
0: Yeah, that's it. That is incredible. Now, if you would put Ewing on the Knicks, now would they win a championship? Finally, that's a better question. <laughs> no, would it matter if it was that in the eighties like, or now? <laughs>
1: If if like if he took his suit off from coaching like right now, actually right now, he'd probably be better than most of what they've got. The seven power forwards and centers they have on their team.
0: No. It's incredible. It's incredible how dysfunctional that organization is being where they are. You go from one big city like like the Lakers and the Clippers having organizations ran pretty well, and then you go to New York like everybody wants to play in New York. No, nobody wants to play in New York. It's <laughs> And you had Patrick Ewing, one of the greatest big guys of all time, and you didn't win one. That, that's that's tough. That's yeah. tough for me. It's tough for me. To... Well, he, he was in a tough era, though. There was a lot of good teams. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean Jordan took a lot, a lot of that away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. He he took he took a lot of championships away from guys that should have had it. The, the you know the years he was out, then all of a sudden what uh, who was the guy? The Houston wanted. Houston, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elijah Juan. John won,
2: Starks and Reggie Miller deserve more.
0: That's right. Very true. Very, very true. So moving on to the – Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, go ahead,
2: Nick. Go ahead, Chris. You go ahead. I was going to jump back to Kenny Payne. Uh, So do you think he's there for the long haul as long as Cal is there, or do you think he's going to be a head coach soon? And has he had any head coaching
1: offers that you know of? I I think some smaller schools have shown interest. Uh, I think if he had wanted to leave before now, he certainly could have for some smaller places, but I, I mean, he's making $900,000 a year. Um, you know, his contract's up this summer. If he wants to make a million, he'll make a million. I mean, they just paid Vince Merrill, a tight ends coach, $900,000. Uh, I think if Kenny Payne wants a million bucks, he'll get it. Um, They're both worth every penny.
0: Yes, absolutely. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and,
1: and, you know, that's a tough, a, it puts him in a, like, it's a great spot financially. It puts him in a tough spot professionally, in making that decision, because he would have to take a pretty massive pay cut for the kind of job he could probably get.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, is
1: that fair? I don't think it's really fair because you know, Jawan Howard didn't have to go take go work at you know South Dakota State before he got the Michigan job. He didn't even have to coach in college at all. Uh, Penny Hardaway didn't have to coach in college at all. Um, there have been guys who schools hired largely because they could get recruits. Um, who hadn't proven anything yet as coaches, who did get major jobs. And that's what Kenny wants. That's the opportunity he thinks he deserves, and I think he's probably right. And so to that end, you know, I, do I think somebody's going to give him that because he's not a former NBA star? Probably not. If his, if his alma mater wouldn't do it, and Louisville, I don't think ever gave him any serious look when they hired Chris Mack, I think that hurt him a little bit. But um, if, if that wouldn't happen... And that's, you know, Jawan Howard, Michigan, his alma mater hired him. Penny Hardaway, Memphis, his alma mater hired him. If, if Louisville wasn't going to take Kenny, I think if he, if he wants his first head coaching job to be a big boy job, then his best bet is to wait. And just I, I, I think he has proven himself enough and, and earned enough respect around here uh, at the highest levels that were Calipari to leave in the next three or four years, Retire or whatever. Go to the NBA. Don't think that's going to happen, but just maybe just retire. Uh, I would think Kenny would have a great shot at getting that. Um,
0: I I 100% agree with that.
1: My next question. Yeah. I think it would be wise (laughs) to give him that job because replacing Cal is going to be a really hard thing to do. And I think it's worth trying Kenny Payne. And if you, if it doesn't work, then, then you've sort of softened the, expectation level for like the next big name hire you try to make because if you hire you know the hot coach right after calipari he's still probably going to be a huge letdown (laughs) so you're going to hire this great coach that everybody's excited about and he can't live up to what cal's done here and then he won't be a wild coach anymore um if it's kenny Payne, maybe you get maybe fans have patience because he's a first-time coach and they let him you know you let him grow into the job, and by the time he gets his feet under him everything's cool um so yeah i I think I don't know if if he'll stay I know he wants a head coaching job and maybe he'll just get tired of waiting and want and take a s- smaller job or maybe somebody will roll the dice on him and at a big boy school and, and hire him but to me it seems like if he if he wants that elite level job right out of the bat then you know right off the bat then he should hang around and wait for Cal to hang it up.
0: Well, I think a couple of things I'm going to expand on that is is one I think where Kenny hurts his alma mater is U of L, which is a it's a little bit bigger than Memphis. So like if he would have went to Georgia, Georgia probably would have hired him, you know, for being an alum and all that stuff. Uh, but I think that's what hurts him as far as if he really wants Louisville's job. Louisville's one of those schools, much like Kentucky, we want to see some sort of uh, production before you actually take our job type type deal. Um, and I. And I think yeah, on it.
1: although I think I think he I think that idea of him replacing Cal Perry has probably grown on a, a decent number in the fan base.
0: I wanted to say, that I right. love that. I love that I love, that. I love yeah. that because I think transitioning from Cal to him, you're exactly right. It it lessens the blow a little bit and two, it keeps that culture alive and it keeps I guess the ship moving in the same direction as you had before. And you have all those connections that you have in NBA because like we already just talked about, Kenny Payne has changed the lives of many players that's come through here. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the big thing is keeping the culture alive here uh, that Cal would leave.
3: And I mean, learning under Cal is one of the best, you know, he's one of the best to
0: do it, so it's a great person to learn from. I, I mean, I agree. I, yeah. Yeah. And I
3: think, I think the other
1: piece of it is, you know, you can be a figurehead to a degree as a head coach, and you don't. You know, does Kenny have to have all the X and O answers? I mean, maybe maybe he's a wizard as an X and O coach, and, and he'll show that when he takes a seat. But even if he's not, you know, even if he's just the closer in the living room and the culture guy and the and the leader of the program, and he hires the right assistant coaches who are are really great X and O guys, that works too. And I I don't know. I. The, and the more I hear him talk publicly, and and it wasn't always the case. I think he's. I don't know if he went went and got like drilled himself, you know, in an off season about you know went through. There are people that go through like TV boot camps that try to transition from being players to television guys. I don't know if Kenny did something like that, but at some point in the last four or five years, he became this really great public speaker. Uh, I would much rather. Him stand at the podium in Calipari because he'll actually answer our questions. <laughs> um, you know, I think he's just a really like thoughtful, thoughtful guy, and people enjoy listening to him talk. And that's a, such a big part of this job. I, I just, I, the more it goes on, the more I think it's a, it's, it would be a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, I think I think he could handle the stress of Kentucky for not only playing at U of L but being here for so long. I think that that I mean. That's one of the hardest parts. of UK's job is the stress, and the the fans can and get he's a little crazy. Getting used to it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like I said, yeah. again, he's kind of used to it. He's used to the culture by now, and and you well, know, that's the thing too.
1: Is I think there's a lot of outsiders who have no idea, like they think they do, but they have no idea what the job entails and how big it is and how crazy it is here. And you know, like Billy Gillespie's not a bad coach. He's a great coach. You, I mean, he won before Kentucky. He's not like the number one team in junior college now uh billy gillespie's a good coach but he's the like the absolute wrong fit for being at kentucky with everything that comes with kentucky and he he had no idea what was about to swallow him up um and there's i think there's plenty of coaches like that but this job would just eat alive and uh kenny payne would not be caught off caught off guard by it that's for sure
0: well moving on to uh kind of kind of these bracketologists is going on right now um which today they kind of moved us back on the three line. But what's the deal with Kentucky? I mean, we've won 11 of 12. What, are we going to get any respect, or is this that Evansville game? Is this going to constantly haunt us? Uh, for I just don't understand the whole net thing. I mean, Kentucky's got one essentially really bad loss, but has a quite, bunch a good loss. A, a a g- good, wins. Of good wins. I mean, they're, they're, what, six and three against quad ones? Uh, I mean, I just yeah, don't. I think it's. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I think it's a few things. I think it's not just the Evansville loss. I think that's one thing that, one thing to keep in mind is it's not just the Evansville loss. One, there's also the Utah loss, the South Carolina loss, not as bad as it was, but that's not a great loss either. Um, but more than that, just across the board, wins or losses, Kentucky never blows anybody out. I think there's still going to be for winning regardless, just, just finishing the deal and winning period. Uh, and I think ultimately the committee will reward that. Uh, but the computers, um, they look at that. I mean, they 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 take that into consideration. Those formulas are built around uh, scoring efficiency, scoring defense efficiency. They're built around uh, to to varying degrees. They factor in margin of victory. Kentucky never beats anybody by double digits. They have a they have a ten to fifteen point lead in every single game they play, and they win them all by three to eight points. <laughs> um, you know, and that no, I know that drives human beings who are fans of the program crazy and I think it sends computers haywire um, and then the, the the other factor is the league the league kind of stinks this year and um, you know didn't the, the league other than Kentucky did not beat anybody out of conference uh, and so that kills them when you get into the league and there's, there's a muddled mess in the middle and nobody looks especially impressive other than Kentucky and Auburn LSU sometimes um you know the big there's a story that came out today I think Matt Norlander at CBS wrote it about how the Big 10 went to 20 games 20 elite games before anybody else so you get two crappy non-conference games off your schedule and you add two quality games to your schedule um and then if you do beat some teams in the non-conference early then your the computer's love your your conference uh and you've got those two extra conference games and it just boosts everybody And so that's the reason that the, you know, these Purdue at 14 and 14 is still one spot ahead of Kentucky in the Ken Palm rankings, which is outrageous. I mean, nobody actually thinks Purdue is better than Kentucky, but, um, but it's, that's part of the deal. They have beaten a couple of the better teams in their league and the league gets a ton of respect. Uh, You know, they've basically gamed the system. And so. I guess that's the long answer and the short answer is just keep winning, uh, because computers don't seat the field. And I don't think that, um, I don't think that the committee just pulls the net ranking and pulls Ken Palm, uh, and goes, okay, well, here's the field. I mean, you wouldn't need a committee if all they did was use the computers. Uh, and there's, there's teams every year that get left out of the field and then they hold up the computer rankings and go, I was, but we were 36th in the RPI. How could you leave us out? The human beings in the room said, we know better. You're not, you know, you're not good enough. Now the committee, people complain about the humans all the time. They're not perfect. Uh, but I do, whatever their flaws, I don't think that, uh, the last thing I think of the committee is that they just grab the computer printouts and, and let that completely influence their decisions.
0: Yeah, I see that. But at the same time, I I, I compare, Kentucky's resume to, you know, Duke's, and I can compare it to, you know, U stuff like that, and, and Kentucky's very, very close to them on those. And the only thing that ever sticks out to me is that we have we're the only one of all those teams that have what a quad four loss.
1: Yep. <laughs> and, well, one of the only teams. I mean, there there are like very few top end teams in like in the last decade who have a loss as bad as that. You know what I mean? Like there are very few top four seeded teams in 10 years that have a loss as bad as Kentucky. So they've had a lot of making up to do. Um, I mean, Evansville is creeping towards the sub 300 uh, ranking. It's really bad. They haven't won in three months. Um, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's the a thing though. But I, right now I would guess like Kentucky and Duke will, will be two and three seeds. One will be a two and one will be a three. So they're one line apart. And, you know, that's not that far off. It doesn't really matter. If you're not a one and you're not a four, it doesn't matter. If you're a two or a three, it's the same thing to me. I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of difference. You don't want to be a four seed because you don't want to have to get a one seed in the Sweet 16, um, but does it, you know, does it really matter whether you're a two or a three? I don't know. I, I, the other thing, when I talk about human seed to field, the humans seem to really like Kentucky. Uh, maybe not the bracketologists. Maybe they are relying too much on computers, but the... But the, generally, uh, the AP voters, humans, have Kentucky eighth. The coach voter, humans, have Kentucky eighth or ninth. Um and so obviously, uh, those human beings, and that's a lot of them, I think all total there's probably 130 voters in those two polls or something like that. Uh, that's a lot of people paying attention to basketball who think Kentucky is a top ten team, which will put them as a two or a three seed, so. I think it's all going to work itself out if Kentucky keeps winning. I think they're a top three seed, um, you know, went out all the way through the SEC tournament. I still think they could get well, I mean,
0: it too.
2: Regarding Kentucky in March, um, <clears throat> I think everybody kind of knows what they're going to get from Maxie and Hagan They're going to have their ups and their downs during the games. Um, uh, you know, Hagan's going to play good defense. He's going to have some turnovers. He makes boneheaded plays. Max is going to, you know, kind of be an inefficient scorer, but he's still going to get 12 to 15, maybe 17 points in a game. Um, I think the biggest thing is getting play like we got out of Montgomery last night, and how he's been playing recently. Having Juzang continually produce positive plays, whether that be rebounding or defense. You know, he. He's a really good shooter. It's just, it hasn't, you know, bore fruit. Um, but then also getting production out of Sustina or Brooks. What do you think Kentucky needs from their bench to excel in March?
1: I just think they need one of those guys per game to do something, you know, positive. I don't, I, I don't think it's like one guy. I don't think it's all on Sustina. I don't think it's all on Brooks. I don't think it's all on Juzang. I just think. Combined, those three guys gotta give them, you know, a decent little bump. You know, they gotta get eight to ten points from somebody and five to seven rebounds from somebody off the bench. And if it's, you know, a combined effort, that's fine too. But those games where the bench basically gets blanked, you're in a, you're in a dogfight. Um, unless Emmanuel quickly scores 30. <laughs> but, you know, EJ, I think, I think EJ is the big deal. Um, uh, the two things to me that are the most important are, uh, Ashton has got to get himself under control offensively. He's just, he just has to play better, uh, smarter, uh, slow it down a little bit. Maybe, I don't know. But, uh, I have a piece that I'm working on right now that, uh, that I don't want to give too much away on. But basically, yeah. they are absolutely 100% not winning a national title at his current turnover rate. Right? uh because nobody has. <laughs> so um, it's pretty crazy. I went through a bunch of numbers all afternoon and it's pretty dramatic uh how much worse he is right now at turning the ball over than any final four point guard in a while. So um, he's gotta be better. And then E J that's that's a huge development for them. Like a huge development because he he can be such a difference maker. He's as good talent wise as about anybody they'll face um in the front court and if he's gonna you know be 75 percent of that talent that he has in him most nights then and nick is what he's mostly been all year they're fine um it's just it's always been a question of do they have more than one do they have more than one option uh in the paint and for a lot of the year they have not
0: yeah, I think that they have a thin margin of error this year because of because of how thin their bench is, and if foul troubles and stuff like that, it's going to hurt UK yeah. in the tournament. Um, you've got to find well, somebody. If, like, you
1: know, why do the computers hate Kentucky? Because like the numbers tell them that that that's true. You know, like they don't know anything about Kentucky's bench other than what the numbers say, and like one of the reasons they can't close out games on a stronger note is they don't have any depth. And so they do have a thin margin for error. So, like, you know, it's not for nothing that the computers have them down low. There's a reason. The computers are skeptical because the math tells them that teams that are doing what Kentucky's doing and even winning the way Kentucky's winning, uh, they can easily be balanced. And that is true of Kentucky.
0: That's very true. And I, you know, you talk, talk about how Hagen's having, having his ratio and never winning. I never thought a team that had – straight the schedule of 141 and losing to UNLV at home will be a one seed, but hey, let's say it's gonna happen this year. So you know, I mean, hey, it, I mean, there's it's yeah. this kind of a weird year in college basketball. I mean, they I watched them or I, I saw the highlights of the Colorado State game. They were down what six with a uh, minute thirty left. I mean, that team's about to be a one seed. So, I, 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 I don't know. It's a weird year. It's all about <laughs> matchups this year, man. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It is a weird year, but hey, you you want you want winning rewarded, and if you go thirty and one, you got to reward that. Right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, I I agree, even though yeah. I I uh, I feel like the grind that <laughs> the grind that that UK's got to do, or the grind that say see the grind that even Indiana's got to do, is far superior than San Diego State well, has to I'll do. I'll tell you this: San Diego State
3: yeah, makes a lot of their layups honest. and dunks. Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> but you should be honestly though, like uh, like. People like fans of of uh, sort of battle tested blue blooded programs from power conferences should love should love that. Like, let me be the four seed against the one seed from the small conference that hasn't played anybody all year.
2: Like, you know,
1: when Kentucky was an eight seed playing Wichita State, Wichita State State in the second round. Who do you think was who do who do you think was madder about that? It's tough. Greg Marshall. Greg Marshall. I've talked to Greg.
0: Greg Marshall. Marshall's wife. It. Yeah, Greg Marshall's wife was really upset. <laughs> that Furious.
1: He wanted to move somebody when that bracket
0: came out. Oh um, yeah, sure. Oh, oh yeah, I too. They got. They they definitely got screwed on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. They yeah. were well, by far the hardest bracket I've ever yeah, seen. Cause, maybe because they also had UK. <laughs> they also had Louisville in there. Right? Louisville, a very good Michigan, Louisville team. Man,
3: Michigan was yeah. on
0: the. Like, I mean, they had some. They had a tough road. Kentucky they were going to make TV. it.
3: Kentucky beat three
1: of the previous year's final four teams in a row to get <laughs> just to get to the final four.
0: That's insane. <laughs> it is really it's, it's insane. <laughs> but, you know, I've watched Daniel State play, and, I, you know, I'm not trying to trying to down. They, they do play very good defense, I will say that. I just always respect kind of – I know they can't help who they play. It's like UK right now. It's getting screwed over by what, what's going on in the SEC. But, but I, I mean, same time, I just – I hold value on the teams that you play – Night in and night out. Um, and I, that's why I think – actually, I think the most impressive uh, resume to me is Creighton. But uh, but that's – again, they're playing good teams. Yeah, I mean,
1: the Big East is – I would argue that the Big East is actually the best conference this year. I will agree with you. About yeah. the Big Ten.
0: I mean, they got they got Creighton. They have, they have uh, Philadelphia. The blind record is amazing. I mean, they have, they have some incredible teams that um, they have good resumes. they has got a bunch of great
1: wins. They've got a superstar, Miles Powell. Like Seton Hall is my my right now. They would be my like dark horse Final Four team.
0: They're really good. Ten, ten wins against quad ones, man. Ten, yeah, ten and five. They're
3: ten and five. That's amazing.
0: That that is and and, and that, that is,
3: yeah. That's that's a good resume
0: for sure. A very very good resume. That's why I was kind of I was doing some blind resumes earlier and people were trying to guess them and stuff. But like when you put Seton Hall's up there, you would most people would not guess Seton Hall. No. Unless you roll through and see who they beaten and stuff, but they they have a, and then the, for them to still be a three seed is kind of blow my mind too. But again, it's we still have uh, what a whole another week of basketball, and that all changed in the tournament and the play on the uh, and, you know all the conference, bra- tournament, conference tournaments yeah. and all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, I agree with you, man. Big East has been very impressive this year. Yeah,
1: they're, they're gonna be fun. This is gonna be a fun tournament. I mean, I, it, it'll be wild. Uh, you know, they they like the. The two schools have thought, oh, this will be the craziest tournament ever or it'll just end up all chalk after all we, after we talk about it being crazy all year. But I actually think, I think it's possible to be both. Like I think we'll have a ton of early upsets and you know, we may settle in and have, you know, three of the final four teams be blue bloods, but I, I would guess that somebody will be a party crasher, like an ab, an, an abnormal final four team will make it through this year.
0: I'm, I've been on believer of this, and I and someone had said this on previously on our show. Uh, this if this isn't the year, Gonzaga gets it. I don't know
3: <laughs> when they will. When they will?
0: Because <laughs> yeah, the door is open, that's man. A great point, yeah. The door is open for them, yeah. and they got a good coach. They got a good team, and and this, this.
3: I'll tell you what's gonna happen. The NCAA loves for North Carolina to be in there. They'll find a way to get them in there, get them win <laughs> the ACC, and get them in the Final Four. They'll
0: somehow get like the worst North Carolina team of all time in there. Mike's saying that because they have odds up now for North Carolina, and all of a sudden, randomly, that's the only team that's got like ten wins that has odds up for a national championship. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally about to. It's like a hundred thousand to one. So I'm totally putting five dollars on that. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if if they'll actually take bets on it, I mean, I would bet five bucks on it. Because for sure. <laughs> they to the ACC
3: tournament, you know? Yeah. If they
1: win the ACC tournament and they get in. Who knows?
2: Yeah, just got to get the right time. Did anybody watch North Carolina against Louisville the other night?
3: Oh yeah, yeah I, I took North Carolina because plus cool. nine is a lot of points, and they were just awful to watch. Yeah,
0: they they beat us <laughs> to death. Like a high
2: school team. They were trying to move the ball.
0: <laughs> Ugh. I feel bad for Cole Anthony, man. There was a lot of – he was getting guys in good position, wide open shots, and they just were not making them. I mean, it's – it was sad. It's, it's it's you know, being a U.K. fan and watching all the stuff that's going on there that, that they got acquitted with um, and what's going on now is, is funny. But it's also sad because you're kind of watching a great team that's been great for – Several years since Roy Williams has been there, and they they are bad, a bad basketball team. <laughs>
3: yeah, they're
1: hard to watch. But they are not—they're not, not going to be bad for long, though. I think they'll be really good again next year. They got a great class coming in. I think they'll be fine.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I oh,
0: agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. they will bounce back. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I uh, you know, we talk about uh, kind of the roads to to the Final Four. What I mean, what's the best scenario for Kentucky to get to the Final Four? Besides
3: making layups,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: what do you mean, like what? Best scenario,
0: how? I mean, do you think, do you, do you think like, Kentucky needs, their, you know, obviously they need more bench play, or do you think they need EJ, you think EJ Montgomery's that that X factor, or do you think this it's all about matchups when you get in the tournament?
1: I mean, it's largely about matchups. It's about don't get in foul trouble, you know, don't have Nick get in foul trouble. Um, I think they want to avoid teams with dominant big guys that can bully them and can force that, Foul trouble, which uh, I've said for a while now that like, hey, this is their nightmare matchup. Um, cause I don't think you want to deal with Azubuki and they've got some really good perimeter defenders and, um, you know, but it is, it is matchups. That's the, that's the thing too that I would say about seating. I don't, I don't think it really matters a ton, maybe a, a little. It's more about who they get matched up with, you know, and, and, you know, you can win a title with six guys basically won a title with six guys in 2012 um so i don't think that part of it is all that big a deal as long as you get the breaks you know you don't you don't get foul trouble in the wrong at the wrong moment
0: yeah yeah i'm I agree. I agree with that man like i said i i like to go out west I, even if gonzaga is our one seed i I like our matchups out west better than I do. Yeah. Any I, other region?
3: I wouldn't mind playing San Diego State, really. <laughs>
0: yeah. We'll have we we'll have U and Duke and ours, I'm sure, yeah. and, and we'll, or we'll play Michigan State again or, or something like that. I'm sure it's going to happen. Yeah, they'll find a way yeah. to give us a hard schedule. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, all right. So well, the
2: question that uh, that college basketball fans really want to know is why is it that Coach K gets a pass and gets protected by mainly ESPN, uh, whenever he does his patented blow by and then throw the hissy fit whenever they lose. He didn't do it the other night. I was waiting for it when they lost to Wake, but I guess he has too much respect for Danny Manning. But when they lost to, uh, to North Carolina State, just right on by that coach, that coach trying to, trying to talk to him and all that kind of stuff. Coach K
1: straight to the locker room. Why is it he gets a pass? Screaming at the student section. Uh yeah, I don't know. I mean and, and the dude loves more F bombs than any coach I've ever heard during games. Uh, it's interesting that he's always sort of held up as a paragon of virtue. I mean, I don't I don't think I don't really have a lot of bad to say about the guy. He's you know I would say the probably the greatest, most accomplished coach of the modern era, uh outside of Wooden with five titles. You can't really argue that. Um he's a gold medal coach with Team USA. So he's got a lot of respect in a lot of corners, and I think he's earned most of that. Um, but, yeah, I, he seems to be sort of like a sacred cow uh, that nobody wants to uh, disparage or, or or make angry by uh, criticizing. But um, I think he acts like a child sometimes and should be called on it accordingly, for sure. So I'll ask you this, because you've talked to a lot of coaches. Have you ever heard any coaches...
2: Bash him for that.
1: No, but I haven't ever like, not no. I I just haven't ever asked that. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure if I if I got some of them in, with a couple of drinks in them at a, a peach jam or something uh, and asked it, it might be. Well, Let's set like, that up, man. <laughs> it might be interesting, but no, I've never I've never asked anybody. What do you think of uh, Coach Kelly? Can we start with Roy Williams? <laughs> up, <laughs>
0: can can we start things? with Roy Williams? <laughs> Can we start with Boy Williams? I bet you he'll have you. He'll tell you some good, uh, good Coach K stories.
1: I'll see what I can do this summer.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, Kyle, man, we we do appreciate you coming on and and talking to us. And uh, again, this is Kyle Tucker from the Athletic, Uh, very very big time guest for us. And like I said, man, we we appreciate you coming on and spending time with us tonight. Yes, sir. And thank you for all the good work you put out there, man.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate all the kind words, and thanks for inviting me on, and uh, I'm happy to do it again sometime.
3: Thank you.
0: Yes, sir. See you later, man. Hey, have a good night. See you, bud. Thank you.
3: All right, guys. All
0: right, that was Kyle Tucker with us from The Athletic. Um, like I said, it was, a, it was a good interview with us, and uh, we appreciate him Come on. Uh, so I'm Nick. I'm Mike. And that's Chris. Go Cats. All sports, no politics.